This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I love Christmas Eve in this location. I love it. Every year, I know I probably sound like a broken record. It reminds me that Christ comes regardless of what the world's doing. It doesn't bother me in the least to hear any sound coming from any other direction. And I guarantee you that first Christmas Eve, there were lots of sounds coming from lots of directions who knew nothing about what was happening in an inn, then not an inn, then a manger, and what the manger looked like, and so many other questions that run around in our heads. Well, as we consider and ponder what the Lord is doing tonight, grab that Bible that you have, or certainly I know we live in a world where you may have it on your phone. So if you've got your phone at the ready, I just trust you that you're looking at Matthew chapter 1. We can all make that kind of agreement. Uh, I'll smile when I look at you, and I'll know that that's what you're doing. So Matthew chapter 1 is where we find ourselves uh, this evening. And we start with the story, and the story takes us to the birth. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I don't know how much time uh, you think about Joseph, but I'd hope that for this evening we might take some time. A beautiful song was sung in our pre-service, Joseph's Lullaby. And it just ponders a little about who Joseph is. You know, the scripture actually speaks very little about Joseph. Very little. Truth is, we don't really see a whole lot of Joseph after taking the family down to Egypt to get them safety and bringing them back. Uh, he just seemingly, from the scriptures, disappears. doesn't mean he's gone. It's just not a detail that we're given. But we focus a little on Joseph this evening. And as it starts in verse 18 and 19, there's something about Joseph you may not realize. When things get tough for Joseph, who is a just man, who desires no shame to come to Mary, Joseph does what? He steps back. Joseph takes a step back. I know that Matthew shares he's a just man and he wants no shame, but he steps back. He thinks this is the best thing to do for her. Now, most of you can tell me what year is this right now? What year? I know, well, good, you guys are thinking Christmas, you're thinking there, right now, like present day, like check your watch year. 2018, okay, good, all right. Now, we got both we have to set there. I bring this up because in 2018, when we talk about people getting married, most of you will bring your own experience to it. And your experience in a North American context is that when you have an engagement, then there's a marriage. This is not true of first century Judaism. So what's happening in first century Judaism is when you have a betrothal, that is the public ceremony. That's it. There is no additional ceremony that will take place. So what has already happened, the public events already happened. They're waiting for Joseph to take her home. And there's a big celebration prior to that happening, uh, but that's kind of it. So if you were like, well, this is just engagement, it's not real. No, it's real. It's completely there. The public confession and exchange of vows, that's done. So you've now got a guy who's made this public proclamation. He didn't just send a save-the-date flyer. I know that's kind of, you know, the last couple of decades. Now we just send save-the-date cards. And now we don't even send the card. We just send like an e-invite, right? We save money. You're like, really? 
My daughter just sent an e-invite. That's all I got. But this public confession is there, and Joseph's move is to step back. So how you respond to problems tells you a lot about how you view the world. So into this problem, we have Joseph who's looking for a way to move forward, and his first move to move forward being just as I can fix this by making her okay, not facing public rebuke. Please don't hear me question Joseph's motives. He wants the best for a woman he does not want to be with anymore. Why? Because he believes on the surface that she has been, you can all say it, unfaithful. Right. He thinks this is the best way, but rather than hold and trust her, he takes a step back. I know he's a just man, but also realize Joseph isn't one thing. He's not perfect. He's making the best he can out of what's before him. So what about you? When there are problems in the world, there's a couple different ways you could do. You could see a problem, and you could just hug it, embrace it, and get right to it and try to fix it. Or maybe you step back from the problem, and you just pray about it. Or you just step back from the problem, don't pray, and you just step back and say, I'm never bringing it up again. Because if I don't bring it up, it's as if it never existed. Well, Joseph himself finds these things, and he steps back. So what about for the parent? The parent who gets the news that their child who's going to be born is either going to have a mental challenge, a physical deformity. Do they step back from the problem, or do they embrace the problem and say, this is what the Lord's given? Those are tough things. And if you've never been in those shoes, it's hard to say what you do. I hope I know what you do. I'd hope a church would embrace you and give you every love and care they could. That's a tough wait. What happens when your spouse becomes ill? And every time they see you, they curse you. But it's the disease. It's not them. Do you say, forget it. I'm going to step back and divorce is the easier way. Or are you willing to say, hey, I'm in this for the long haul? These aren't easy questions to ask. What Joseph faced wasn't easy. He was trying to do what he thought was right. That was his decision. Well, the text takes us a little bit further along. We continue verse 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, talk about uh, shorthand in the Bible, right? As he considered these things, could you imagine the nights he probably spent? The hours, the sleepless mornings and afternoons and rumblings. And I mean, if some of you are like me, when you have a decision like that, what part of your body does it impact? Like, yeah, for some of you, it's stomach, head, headaches, everything. As he, and the Bible just puts it in this way, as he considered these things. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear you a son... And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As Joseph takes that step back, you have God immediately sending a messenger to Joseph, stepping into Joseph's life, stepping in to help this man to realize this isn't a time to lean back, this is a time to lean in. But Joseph would never have done that without the angel's guidance, without the angel's directions. He's being invited to step in to be an adopted father. You may not have considered this before, but Jesus' family is what type of a family? (laughs) I think we might call this in kind words, it's a blended family. You've got an adopted father, stepfather, whatever language you want to put to it. You've got a man who is not the earthly father who's been told by an angel, be that father. Be a father who's going to step in and face ridicule. Can you imagine having to explain that? So 
Now, I did the math on your betrothal there, Joseph, and I was checking out, and it seems like maybe this child was conceived before, you know, you guys, and I'm just checking, because people do what? They talk. They talk today. You didn't need social media for people to talk. I hope you all realize that. We all think social media created this problem of people speaking behind each other's backs. We were very adept at speaking behind each other's backs before social media. We just didn't attach our names to it. That's the only difference. Now we attach our names and there's a, a little cookie trail that you could follow that will show you, oh, wow, that was my brother who actually started that chain of comments. Interesting. History's filled with mothers and fathers, though, that step in the gap. In our own congregation, we've had people of many different ways, those who have adopted children, fathers who've stepped in to help for fathers who've stepped away, mothers who've stepped in, grandmothers, grandfathers, all helping to raise a family. It is true what they say. What does it take to raise a child? It takes a... It takes a village. And sometimes we like members of the village, right? And sometimes we... I was going to say something nicer, but that's fine. And sometimes we don't. Yeah, sometimes the different members of the village. But here we have this piece of looking to see where it is that Joseph will fit. How is it that Joseph's going to fit into this place? Well, the next thing that unfolds in the account for us is Joseph being this father. And he takes it right up. The angel speaks, and then he does everything that the angel said. Takes the child and will name him Jesus. And he'll name him Jesus because the angel told him to. Because the Holy Spirit has led him to do that. Now, how many of you recall the first time that you held someone else's baby? You remember that in your life? And it may, not, it may or may not be the first time. But just you now, do you remember the first time you held someone else's baby and it was less than two weeks old? Scary. I remember the first time I held someone's, I hadn't had any kids yet, and they let me go to the hospital. And they're like, do you want to hold the baby? And I thought for a little bit, not really because I'm going to break it, but if I say no, you'll be deeply offended. So I am going to be so scared out of my mind because I learned all the things before you get there because they tell you things like, well, you know the baby can't support its own head, and you really have to be careful because, you know, it could really, like, break its neck. (laughs) I'm like, Chris, why are you telling me this? And then you ask me, do I want to hold the child? I'm sitting there, I'm shaking. Now imagine being Joseph. You're not just caring for your child, you're caring for someone else's child. See, Joseph has been told he's taking on someone else's child. And not just a child, but the child who is going to be the savior of the world. And this job of parenting is given to him. That God's entrusted it to him to take on this role. That is a difficult task. It's a difficult task for anyone. But it's even more so when you realize you weren't given that task from the beginning. Now, Matthew will give us a little bit more context as we move forward, and he starts uh, to do that here in 22 and 23. gives us the context of this birth. All this took place to fulfill. We, earlier in the service, spoke several prophecies, things that you are accustomed to hearing on a, on a Christmas Eve or a Christmas Day service. Matthew says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What Matthew's doing is helping to set the context that this birth isn't just by accident. Now, sometimes we connect prophecies and we say, oh, I want to hear certain carols that connect to us here and there. But Isaiah... Isaiah happened 700 years before this. And it's very important you understand when I say Isaiah happens, it's done and written, like done. Book concluded. There are no edits. There is no Jesus is born and then we edit the prophecies. They're completely set. 
Now, sometimes we might say, oh, there's a couple prophecies, and it's nice. This helps us uh, to kind of just see the Scripture moving together. Did you know there are 333 prophecies that Jesus fulfills in his birth, life, death, and resurrection? 333. Just to share a little about this, there is a, an apologist named Josh McDowell. Some of you may know him, but I, just, I found his uh, insight on this interesting to share on a Christmas Eve. If just eight of the prophecies, of which Jesus fulfills all 333, but if just eight, if just eight prophecies were fulfilled in any person at random, do you know what the chances of that happening is? Just eight, of which Jesus does 333, mind you. One in 10 to the 17th power. Now, some of you who love math are like, oh, cool, awesome. I get it. You can see that number. Now, for the rest of us, which includes me, I just like 10 with a little 17. I'm struggling with the calculator, how I get that on there. No idea. How many of you have heard of the state of Texas? What do they say about Texas? Everything is, everything's bigger in Texas, you know. So all of their states were supposed to just be like, yes, your state is bigger. Okay, so imagine this. The likelihood of that happening is taking a silver dollar. So take a silver dollar and write Jesus on it. And then you're going to bury the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. And you're going to throw that Jesus silver dollar anywhere you want in the state of Texas. And then is the likelihood of you picking the silver dollar with Jesus' name on it is the likelihood that one person could fulfill eight of 333 prophecies. Jesus fulfills 333 of them. I share this with you to let you know this birth isn't random. At times, as, as Christians, I think we, we forget the strength and the time and the planning that God put in to the birth happening at the time it did. It didn't just randomly happen and we put together some carols and we seem to say similar things on Christmas Eve and we have to hear certain things. God methodically set all this in motion and said, Joseph, you're the guy. Even though Joseph's first move, it was what? To step, to step away, which he thought was just, which he thought was helping Mary. To which the Holy Spirit said, no, I'm going to move you in. The same Holy Spirit who yesterday, as we were reading in Luke, when Mary comes to Elizabeth, she's filled with the Holy Spirit and says to Mary, right as she comes in, you're bearing my Savior. See, the Spirit allows us to say things we cannot say on our own. This idea of God dwelling with us carries also then back into the Old Testament, this idea of tabernacling. You see, as Matthew writes, his goal is to constantly connect you back to the bigger picture. As the people of Israel are wandering, they've left Egypt. Over 400 years, they're in slavery in Egypt. They move, and for 40 years, they're wandering. And God says, you can set up a tabernacle, a tent, a place where you'll know my glory dwells. You will see my presence. I will tabernacle with you. I'll dwell with you. I will, in this case, we might say, Emmanuel, I'll dwell with you. And when the presence would go up, they knew they could move on. And then they'd set their tent somewhere else. Now, most of you aren't wandering the wilderness. We don't set up a tabernacle anymore. That's not something we do. Well, John also speaks of this in his opening chapter. John chapter 1, verse 14, writes this of Jesus' presence. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the power of the fulfillment of scriptures that God dwells with us is sitting right there before us. What God does on Christmas is God steps in when we're stepping back. Our Lord's working to confront death even when we have doubts and questions. That's what Joseph does. As Matthew continues, verse 24 and 25, when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. That's a change of heart. 
for the words sung in Joseph's lullaby this evening to actually fulfill. It took the Holy Spirit to get Joseph to say, I'm just going to take this dad thing one day at a time. I'm your adopted father, and we're going to get through this together. I have no idea how I raise the Son of God. But I've seen from other fathers what I'm supposed to do one day at a time. And I'm going to take one foot, and I'm going to move it right in front of the other. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, Joseph starts to realize that God's made this clear. Don't sleep with this woman. Make it very clear to the world. This is what God wants everyone to know. This birth, what's happening here is not an earthly-born child. This is one conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is God at work, and Joseph's going to do anything regardless what the world will say. And I'm sure they spoke. I guarantee they spoke. I've met enough people in my lifetime. It is very hard for any group of more than two people to keep their mouths shut. You all remember telephone, right? We all played it growing up as kids. Why? Because it was hilarious. There was always the person who changed it. You knew it. Like when it got to Roger, you knew Roger was just going to change the message. Even if the teacher promised, if you can get it to me exactly, Roger's like, I'm going to change it anyway. Just because I want to do it in spite of others. Joseph is going to move forward. He's going to move forward because God is there with him. As we gather on this Christmas night, for many people, Christmas is a time where they gather with family, they gather and worship. I pray that for you this night, you recognize that God isn't accidentally placing any of us in this place. It's no accident that God has us reading the scriptures and pointing to the prophecies and seeing that God did all this in the fullness of time. So if you sit there going, what is this Jesus thing? Why is he born? He's born because God refuses to let death be the end of the story. See, I started tonight by letting you know a few people in our church have had deaths this past week. Christmas is for them too. Because in the birth of Jesus, we see the reminder that God refused to let death, death that comes in in Genesis 3 to be the end. He says, I'm going to send my son. My son who's going to live a life that you cannot live. And then I'm going to give it to you (laughs) when you don't even want it. Could you imagine what the innkeeper would think if someone were to tell him later, you do realize that you said no to God's birth? Could you imagine that interview? Hey, uh, we're just checking in with the Holiday Inn here. Just want to see, were you guys aware that last night you said no to God? Like, I mean, just imagine that. Well, the innkeeper was doing what was right. They had welcomed all these other people. There was no room. They did the best that they could. Well, God realized that the best we can do is not going to get us back to him without his help. God knows you can't get there without him leading the way. God stepped into the world. And Christmas is about God stepping in when we're pulling back. And he does so as Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Paul, who persecuted Christians, who said this is terrible. They don't understand all the rules and the laws of the Old Testament. We've got to get rid of them because their way is not the way. And God spoke to him just as God spoke to Joseph and said, Be the father. Step in. Step in when you want to step back to Paul. (laughs) Paul had questions too. Lord, it's you? You want me to go and speak? He said, yeah. You're my chosen instrument. Believe it or not, God's using you as well. You might sit here tonight and say, I don't even want to be here. I'm here because someone in my family told me I had to come. This is my gift to them every Christmas. So when this is over, 
That's my gift. I'm done. I want to let you know that's not why you're here. You're here because God needed you to understand that it was not chance that brought his birth at that moment in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years of prophecy, 333 all aligned, and Jesus did it in the fullness of time. Paul writes it this way, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, the same law in which you and I live. (laughs) The world can pretend there's no law. The world can rewrite whatever they want, but guess what? You can't fool God. We can't legislate a new God in. We can try. Look at history. Lots of people have tried to legislate new gods on many occasions. All of those gods have crumbled and fallen. Well, this child is born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We're welcomed as a son just as Joseph was welcomed as a father. God is constantly drawing people unto himself. My prayer for you tonight is that as this congregation gathered here that you recognize that God has a place for you. And it's right at his side. He has sent his son into this world in the fullness of time to give you the gift of everlasting life in Christ's name. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.